on today's show, the Atlanta Hawks fall in New Orleans, falling to two and three on this road trip and 27 and 28 for the season. Atlanta did not perform incredibly well in this game by any means and uh, certainly showed some frustration, some tired legs. And uh, at the end of a long road trip, that is definitely understandable. But in the end, a loss for Atlanta in their final game for the trade deadline. We'll get into all of what transpired and more coming up. You are locked on Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1407 of the Locked On Hawks Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday, and today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs tells you about the most qualified candidates that you want to talk to, and help you to do it faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. I also want to tell you at the top of the podcast, as always, make Locked On Hawks your first listen each and every day. Check us out across podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, etc. on the audio side. And we're also on YouTube if you enjoy watching the podcast on video. And today's show will focus on what became a 116 to 107 loss for the Hawks in New Orleans. They fall to two and three on this extended, lengthy, longest of the season road trip for Atlanta, going from the West Coast on back toward the East and stopping in New Orleans for this final stop. And with this loss as well, the Hawks are below 500 for the season again. And we'll get into all of what sort of the context is on this one. I do want to plug at the top of the show. I talked traded line for like 55 minutes on Monday evening with Andrew Kelly, Peachtree Hoops. That is still very relevant in this podcast feed. Um, as I record this, deep in that on Tuesday and Wednesday, nothing really new on the, on the, on the trade front. So I'm going to direct you to that podcast. But I plan to have a little bit more on that, of course, in the coming days. But nothing transpired that's huge. So if you're holding your breath for trade deadline stuff, I'm going to be uh, – at least funneling you to that episode for now, and then we'll have more in the future on that as the deadline looms, by the way, which is definitely important here. Thursday afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern time is the deadline, so we're like you know 40-something hours away from that deadline right now, so we're getting very close, and the Hawks do play that night, but not until after the deadline has passed. So this is the final game before the deadline for the Hawks, and uh, now they know what their record is and what their standing will be. They'll be somewhere in the 8-9 to nine range in the standings when that arrives as well. And uh, interesting stuff to get into there. Um, again, I've mentioned this before, but this is the finale of a long road trip. And uh, I'll start here. This is a pretty normal loss, I will say. Now, I know, I know for a fact, Hawks fans, we some Hawks fans, we're not going to like that uh, explanation. And, uh, you know, there is a little bit of context here. Of course, the Hawks could have played better in this game. Um, there were some moments when they were not good. We'll talk about later on in the show. Um, but it's a road game against a pretty good opponent. Not a great one without Zion for sure, but a pretty good team. Um, after being away from home for a week and a half, basically, maybe even longer than that, and flying 6,000 miles, something like that, from coast to coast. Yes, they had two, day, two days off in between the games, but uh, I think everybody will probably notice this. But if you're around the league long enough, you will hear that like that last game of the road trip is always tough, no matter where it is. And then, uh, you know, just tired legs and all that stuff, being on the road for that long. Plus, Pelicans had a rest advantage in this game, um, just because they have, they have been at home for basically a week at this point. If you watch the second half of this game, there were signs of a tired team. And I think Nate acknowledged that after the game. I think if you watched, they weren't leading on as a, as a major excuse, but certainly uh, one team was probably fresher in this game. And it was off the Hawks, which is part of this. There were missed rotations in the second half. There were turnovers in the second half. There were a bunch of shots left short in the second half. So uh, it's part of the context here. It doesn't make anybody feel better, I'm sure, but the context is important. From the performance of the game, was not great by any means. They didn't play a perfect game tonight, but there was not a, there was not a total collapse. Like if the Hawks had lost this game, by 28 points and we're just dominated, I would have a different take on this. It would certainly be explainable on some level, but 
they were in this game all the way to the end. They even battled down the stretch. Like they, it was probably over with like five minutes to go, but then they got they got down to six in the final minute, and it, they were kind of right there, never like giving up, never, never letting go of the rope. And that's at least an encouraging sign if you are a Hawks fan at this point in time. And overall, yes, they they go two and three on a road trip. And I know for a team that has very high expectations for this season when it comes to internal and external expectations, no one's going to be thrilled with that result. But I think, I, in fact, I know I said it before the trip even happened that two and three would be a totally fine result on this road trip. Uh, three and two would, would be better. Obviously, four and one would be, would be even better than that. But when you kind of put it, the games all into context here, um, they closed as an underdog in the betting market in all five games on the road trip. So if you just do the math on that, if you're the underdog in five straight games, two and three is a pretty good result when you're not when you're not quote unquote supposed to win any of them. Especially when you factor in that Denver game that uh, was a very large spread. They were ten point underdogs in that game. That's a uh, not not a sure loss, but a likely loss to to sort of fold in there. And also Trey Young missed two games on this trip. So all that said, two and three doesn't look so bad in the in the grand scheme of things. And now they don't have any more long road trips. At least at least not to the West Coast. They don't have any more like disaster situations on the schedule. And uh, the deadline looms, and then the All Star break after that to, get to I'm sure get some uh, much needed rest for everybody on this roster. Obviously, so again. If you asked, I think if you pulled people around the league or just pulled projection systems or whatever and said, okay, what's the most likely projected record for the Hawks on this five-game road trip? I think two and three would have been would have been the final answer and the most likely answer. Um, again, this, isn't, this probably doesn't help anybody's feelings at this point in time, but broadly speaking, there were no embarrassing losses. There were no disasters, and they won a couple games. They could have won one more. I think the Portland game in particular, they let, they let get away at different times. But um, that's my bit of uh, context here, and I know some people are not going to like that but I wanted to start with it because I have to be myself. This is, me, this is me being me at the top of the show. Now, as for this game in particular and more uh, broad takeaways on this game itself, it was a tale of two halves on offense for the Hawks in this game. They were very good on offense in the first half, which is surprising because in some ways they came out very flat. They didn't score really at all in the first like four minutes, but the next 20 minutes or so were like awesome on offense. They ended up with about a 130-ish offensive rating in the first half. That is excellent. They had a ton of assists. They avoided turnovers. They played with freedom, good ball movement in this game on the whole. And uh, after halftime, though, things screeched to a halt. They scored less than a point per possession after halftime. They had eight turnovers in the second half. That's a bad number. They shot 40% from the field after the second half. And uh, even with some, like, catch-up buckets at the end when they, were, when they were definitely playing small and going kind of offense only, that boosted the numbers, and they were still pretty ugly in the second half. So the first, I don't know, 20 minutes after halftime were pretty bad for the Hawks offensively, about as bad as they were going to be with their full complement of players. And uh, part of that's just shooting noise, but they also just looked tired, especially the third quarter. We'll come back to that later on in the podcast, but the th- third quarter was really, really ugly with the exception of Bogdanovich, which is actually kind of funny because Bogey's usually the guy that like has the most you know leg issues and like you know it's probably going to be uh, he's high on the list of guys who are older and all that stuff, but he actually had the most juice of anybody in that third quarter. But nobody else played well in that stretch. They didn't shoot great overall. They ended up with a one twelve offensive rating. That's actually totally fine. It's like an average number for this Hawks team. Um, but they had to get more than that to get this road win in New Orleans, of course. Um, 33% from three in the game is not going to be uh, enough to get you over the top most of the time. They were close to even in the possession battle of this game, but New Orleans shot it better than they did and won the turnover margin. And uh, I've said this many times on the podcast, but the Hawks are a team that kind of needs to win the ball security battle because Atlanta leans on that and it kind of they operate through that and they were not a disaster in turning the ball over in this game for most of it but they still needed to win that margin in this game Trey did tie season high in assists he was very good as a passer in this game the Hawks had 30 assists that's a lot of assists in a game that you lose in particular 
but uh, they didn't shoot it well. Actually, and when you when you put those things together, you don't usually see 30 assist games when you don't shoot the ball well. But it wasn't quite enough um, on the offensive end of the floor, mostly because the second half was pretty dire on offense. And then defensively, it just wasn't very good in this game. And I think that's explainable by what I said before. You know, last game of a road trip, this is a defensive team that's not fantastic anyway. Um, you know, ironically, it was actually better in the second half, which is not what you would think. I think that's mostly New Orleans just missing shots after halftime. But giving up a 121 defensive rating to the Zionless Pelicans is not what you want, for sure. Even on the road, context aside, uh, Brandon Ingram had a great first half and was very good in this game. He got the better of DeAndre Hunter. We'll come back to that later on. But Hunter had his worst game in a long time in this spot. Um, also, the Pelicans got to the line, uh, got to the line uh, at least reasonably. Uh, 56 points in the paint is a lot, and then 17 fast break points. So the Hawks had some tra- transition issues. Again, tired legs lead to bad transition defense, kind of as a, uh, a frequency kind of thing there. And then uh, 28 assists and 10 turnovers for the Pelicans in this game. The Hawks got a little bit flung by the officiating as well. That probably didn't help matters. They were There was some frustration visibly. Trey had a technical foul early in this game. Uh, there was some chirping going on. I think rightly so at times. Officiating was not fantastic, I didn't think, in this game. But uh, overall, just not quite good enough. And again, there's some credit to be handed out by them not giving sort of letting go of the rope in the second half. But the Pelicans, without Zion on an overwhelming opponent, we'll get into it in a se- more in a second. Uh, but the Hawks were actually only about a one-point underdog in this game. So they were narrow underdogs, kind of a cold flip game in a lot of ways. And the Hawks played it like that for a lot of it. But uh, in the end, it was not quite enough to get over the top. And we'll have uh, my usual uh, sort of game flow breakdown in a second when it comes to how this game transpired, first half, second half, you know, highlight plays, et cetera. At the end of the podcast, if you're a new listener, we'll have our player-by-player breakdowns of who played well, who struggled, et cetera, in this game. Uh, and one more time, I, w- I want to plug, again, deadline coverage. I talked to Andrew Kelly for quite some time on yesterday's show. That's definitely still relevant. At this point, we'll have more in the future. But first, we'll get to all of that stuff and work from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, and at LinkedIn Jobs, you can have the success that you need in 2023, and it really all depends on the team members that you surround yourself with, and that's a huge part of why you need LinkedIn Jobs in your life. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people that have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve those goals. I've used them quite a few times in the past to hire. It's proven to be an awesome resource for me that makes the entire hiring process easy and painless, and they help you attract the most qualified candidates possible to your open job with targeting tools, and they make it easily screen applicants based on your job qualification all in one platform that go beyond the resume data at LinkedIn Jobs by using insights from your job post, your company, and their millions of member profiles. Put the post in front of as many people as possible that are qualified for you while doing it quickly and doing it for free. Having people that you need and that you trust around you is huge in meeting your goals this year. So LinkedIn Jobs is the place to check out. And small business is right. LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires against leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs lets you find the most qualified candidates that you want to talk to and they help you to do it faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn dot com slash locked on NBA. One more time, that is LinkedIn.com slash locked on NBA. Terms and conditions apply. All right, and we'll get into how the game flowed in this spot. Um, New Orleans without Zion is a complicated team. They actually had a long losing streak in recent days. Most of that was without Zion and Ingram, which just makes them a different team. With Ingram back, they have been better. They were without Dyson Daniels in this game as well, in addition to Zion. And the Hawks had a clean injury report. I will say DeJounte Murray Ended up playing and playing, you know, decently well at times in this game. But he actually was questionable with a migraine. And as someone who gets migraines, I can tell you uh, the last thing in the world that I would want to do 
uh, with a migraine is go into a very bright, very loud basketball arena and play. Um, so I'm, I'm sure it was not the easiest day for DeJounte Murray overall. I saw some reactions like people kind of rolling their eyes about that. Uh, if you're not a migraine person, I'll just tell you, it's not a lot of fun. If you had them, it's kind of just difficult to explain unless you've had them before. But uh, I think it was uh, impressive that DeJounte even got there, got out there and played. Anyway, um, it's basically the same point spread in three of the five road games. Uh, the, the Portland game was kind of the same way until Trey was out. But the Phoenix game oh, was the same thing. The Hawks have been like very narrow underdogs in three of the five games, kind of interestingly. But at the outset, and this is where, you know, kind of if you want to circle a stretch, one of the key stretches of the game was actually the first four minutes where the Hawks were down 12 to two. It was very, very sluggish out of the gate. And I, I had some uh, worry, worry bars going on about like maybe the Hawks are going to like really not show up in this game because they were pretty rough. At the outset, they missed, missed their first six shots. Uh, the only the only points were actually calls at the line getting, getting there. Hunter missed his first four shots um, in that stretch. The first field goal didn't come for about four minutes. And it was funny because it was a three by DeJounte Murray that bounced twice on the rim. So it was like it was a pure uh, great look from Murray um, that went in. Trey got a technical foul, as I mentioned moments before. It didn't bite them, actually, because uh, it's just kind of a weird thing. But New Orleans kind of inexplicably let Herb Jones, who wasn't a bad free throw shooter by any means, shoot the free throw for the technical foul. But they had CJ McCollum and Trey Murphy on the court, who are two of like the 15 best figure shooters in the whole league, a weird one, and Jones missed. So that was a nice little break for the Hawks early on. The Hawks did like sort of wake up from there, though. They scored the next eight points in a row. Capella had seven points in like two and a half minutes, just kind of filling the lanes and being active around the rim. Uh, there was a really great possession, I thought, early, where Trey found Collins quickly with a nice drop-off pass, and then Collins flipped it to Capella for an easy bucket. Just good ball movement in general in that first half for Atlanta. Rotationally, no real surprises in this one. It was the same nine guys who've been playing when everybody's healthy. Um, you know, after all the drum beating that we've been doing with about Jalen Johnson, he has been playing recently and consistently. He played well in this game, and good to see him out there for the most part. Um, the Hawks did finish the first quarter very strong. They were hot at that point. They made thirteen of fifteen shots at one point late in the first quarter. Bogey hit three jump shots. Trey had a couple of just ridiculous passes in the way that he often does. He had one that was behind the back to Bogey like 20 feet away for a three that was right in the perfect spot. Trey is just ridiculous. And then Jalen had a great outlet pass to uh, kickstart a possession and transition too. So uh, the Hawks were actually leading at the end of the first quarter. They had 11 assists and zero turnovers in that first quarter, including seven by Trey Young in a single quarter. Plus they made four threes. They were really, really scoring at a high level. Unfortunately, the defense was not quite up to the, up that standard early on, but um, that was kind of the theme of the whole first half was the offense was uh, really flying and defensively neither team was very good before halftime. A couple of really good ATO plays. For Atlanta in that first half, um, one was starting second quarter with a nice pass by Akangwu to Jalen Johnson, but some good uh, designs from the coaching staff and execution from the players as well. Uh, the bench was quite solid in that, in that first half stint. One of Bogey's better halves in a while after a slow start that he had in the game. I thought Jalen and Akangwu were both quite good in the first half as well. Hunter had to lead the game. And again, we'll come back to this one more time later on, but Hunter had a really rough night and this kind of added, just added to it. He actually was bleeding quite badly from his face. Had to go to, had to, go to the locker room because they, they couldn't stop it on the court. Um, just a rough one for him overall. Norwoods had a nice 7-0 run and at the end of the first, uh, sorry, at the end of the first half, take the lead. The Hawks did have their worst stretch of the first half shooting-wise since the first half. They actually missed their first, uh, I guess, five shots in a row, something like that, at the end of the, at the, end of the second quarter, I should say. But after a timeout, the Hawks got their stuff together and really started attacking the rim because New Orleans, while they're not a bad defensive team, they don't have a lot of rim protection in particular. And uh, they were finally kind of, the Hawks were, I guess, kind of had that, that switch flip to go at the rim. And when they actually did that and really tried to attack downhill, they had success. A little bit too much settling at times, though, in this one. And we're down by three at the, at the first half break. And again, offensively, they're really good in the first half. Um, 16 assists in the first half and three turnovers. That's a really good ratio. Trey had 11 assists in the first half. 
that tied his career high for a half, in addition to tying his season high overall with 16 in the game. So his passing was uh, fantastic, as it often is. And they had great balance in the first half. Seven points. Sorry, seven guys, at least six points for Atlanta. But defensively, it was really rough. A 135 defensive rating before halftime. Um, we, this is kind of doubles the, for the entire game. But I will say, it was particularly a nightmarish first like 26 minutes for DeAndre Hunter in this one. In addition to the bloody face, he missed every shot he took. He got two fouls right away on Brandon Ingram in the, fir- in the third quarter with like within like a minute. I'm not sure either of them were actually a foul, but he got called for both of them. He was frustrated visibly. Ingram had it going, and uh, you could definitely just sense the kind of boiling over by everybody involved there. And Hunter had one to uh, sort of forget in this game. Malik did uh, battle back after getting down by eight early in the third quarter. Uh, Collins had a great help side block on Valanciunas at one point, but there was a whistle fest. Like it was so, so many stoppages in the early part of the third quarter, no game flow to speak of. And that was frustrating to watch as a consumer of basketball. But, um, you know, Hunter got his fourth foul, had to come out of the game and the Pelicans had their one, uh, obviously their biggest run of the night was a nine Oh run late in the third quarter to go up by 13 points. And from that point forward, the Hawks weren't dead by any means, but they were never like really in position after that. Like they were down by four then, they got it to six in the final minute, but it was like they were down by 10-ish or more, or at least eight-ish or more for the rest of the game, basically, uh, after that one big stretch there. The Hawks were uh, scoreless for three minutes or so. They had three turnovers in a short period of time. Trey had been brilliant until then, but had two turnovers basically in a row during that run that led to, that led to points. And then also they had a weird sub-pattern with Trey. Usually Trey will either come out in the middle of the quarter in the first or third for a brief time, then come back in, or he'll play the entire quarter. This time... He came out with like two minutes to go in the third. I think it's probably because he started playing poorly in that last minute or two, but it was kind of just a notable, I'm not sure what to take from that, but just kind of a, a notable change in the rotation, we'll say. But in general, I talked about this earlier, but the, the second half offense was, was terrible, and that was really the case in the third quarter. The Hawks had a 33% shooting clip in the third and six turnovers, including five from Trey and DeJounte combined. Um, that's when they got off the rails. And honestly, it was that was a, you could certainly argue that was maybe the, the biggest turning point of the game was the offense just kind of sputtering out in that third quarter in the fourth uh, bogey was really the reason the Hawks were able to stay in touch. Like he's obviously not been brilliant this year on the whole, but he was good in this game. And in particular, he was the only guy that had anything for like the first quarter and a half of the second half. Um, He had two huge threes early in the fourth to stay in touch. In fact, he had the first nine points um, in the first like four and a half minutes of the fourth quarter for the Hawks. Nobody else scored until like the eight minute mark or even after that of the fourth quarter. And the Hawks were honestly fortunate to be within eight or nine points early in the fourth because New Orleans finally uh, sort of sputtered a little bit. Uh, Congo finally scored on a nice uh, second chance bucket. But uh, if there's one moment of the game that I would maybe circle as like the singular like sequence that changed the entire game, it might be the, uh, the CJ McCollum double pump three with like six minutes to go. The Hawks were already down 10, so they were already in a tough position. But McCollum, if you miss this play, uh, basically hit like an impossible, literally full double pump three at the buzzer of a shot clock to go up by 13. And then Hunter, again, a rough night for Hunter, fumbled away that what probably would have been a pretty easy layup. And then that led to the Pelicans hitting another three. So it was essentially like an eight-point swing. It was three, fumble away, and three. And that put the Hawks down by 16. And I circled that like as kind of the dagger sequence. Again, the Hawks were not totally dead. They came back to get within six later on. But that was really when the game, at least in my mind, kind of ended. Um, the Hawks were at least 
trying to play smaller and go quickly after that. They play Collins at center as the way that uh, Nate often does when they're down big at times. They got within nine with like two minutes to go. Uh, Trey hit a deep three to get to six with 37 seconds to go, but then the Hawks had to foul. Um, and then New Orleans executed pretty well from there. And it was uh, pretty much academic, I should say, down the stretch. So obviously like a lot in there, but really the big thing was the Hawks just couldn't score in the second half. And then, uh, you know, a little bit of variance that went New Orleans way at home, you know, that McCollum three followed by the fumble wave by Hunter. Like it's never one sequence, but uh, there's one to circle. that was kind of just like a shrug. It was that like that eight point swing was really big in the game. Again, the Hawks were valiant down the stretch. Trey made some plays. Collins made some plays. Uh, they were active down the stretch for sure, playing small and trying to like jumpstart things and try to just increase variance when you kind of have to, but it wasn't quite enough. Uh, because the Pelicans just didn't like have a disaster like me. Basically, when the Hawks have had blown leads at times, you've probably seen this even when they were Hawks were coming back in the playoffs a couple years ago, seemingly every game against Philadelphia, it takes one team collapsing in addition to the other team making big plays to come back from a huge deficit in the fourth quarter. In this game, the Hawks made enough plays. Uh, New Orleans just didn't make the mistakes, and that's why the Hawks were not able to go over the top at the end. All right, we'll get into the players in a second from this loss for Atlanta. But first, our final break to hear from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. And this year, the only app that you need in the Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. We are very excited about FanDuel as a new sports betting partner for the Lifetime Podcast Network. If you're new to the party with FanDuel as well, that is even better. They have a ton of great features that makes sports betting both fun and easy for you. And they have uh, everything that you could possibly be looking for with the Super Bowl coming up this week, including a no-sweat first bet. If you download FanDuel now, get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win on FanDuel. And they have all kinds of bet options at FanDuel. That includes money lines and point spreads and totals. A ton of player props for the big game as well. And really, it's going to be an awesome Super Bowl, I think, with the Eagles and Chiefs entering as number one seeds. Tons of star power on both sides and a closely projected spread in this game. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and easy to use. And best of all, your winnings paid out instantly. At FanDuel. Join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on the Super Bowl. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Okay, and we'll dive in now to the players that appeared for Atlanta. Only nine guys played in this one, and the bench was strong for the Hawks. It's been a positive when they've had all their guys. Again, that's crucial when they had everybody available and they actually play these capable bench units and not have to go deep into their bench. It's been pretty effective. Um, AJ Griffin had probably had the worst game of anybody on the bench. He wasn't bad, but it wasn't a good AJ game. He did have five big points at the end of the third quarter that were kind of important, I thought, but that was kind of all he did in this game. He had a block shot as well. It was actually a nice one-on-one defensive play from AJ, but defensively, not great. Only five points on five shots. It was not his best work by any means. He was not like a disaster either, but AJ will have better nights. Um, the rest of the bench, though, was pretty good, honestly. Kongwu, eight points, five rebounds, three blocks in 20 minutes. They have three fouls in typical Kongwu fashion, but had two assists, a couple good looks there. Um, three or four from the floor. I thought he has been really good. Really the whole road trip, he was very good. It's really good to see him coming on because early in the year, I know Hawks fans probably noticed this. We talked about it some on the show. He was not playing up to what I thought he was going to be able to do this year. And I think we've seen the guy that I thought he was going to be for like the last, I don't know, month or so, especially on this road trip. He's, he was very good. That's a positive sign no matter what happens in the future. Jalen Johnson had a great first half. He wasn't great in the second half, but certainly had a lot of good moments. Six points, six rebounds, had an assist. The ball handling is really impressive. I got a sort of a joke tweet. Somebody said to me that like it seemed like Nick Millen had listened to the podcast when Tower Jones and I were talking about Jalen pushing the ball. I talked about um, him a little bit with Andrew yesterday as well. Um, Jalen's had the ball in his hands more recently, which is good. I think uh, that's one way to use him in particular right now is that he isn't the most dynamic off-ball threat at the moment. His his shooting from the corners is not like great. He's been making more threes, but not he doesn't really get guarded just yet. 
But as a playmaker, as a transition guy in particular, that's something I've always said about Jalen. He's a fantastic weapon in the open floor. But uh, he's been really playing well recently. He was plus nine in this game, 15 minutes, played well. And then Bogey had his best game in a while, 22 points, two assists, three rebounds, had a steal. He was uh, really efficient too. He was two of four on twos and then five of nine on threes. Um, without him, the Hawks, I believe, were a seven of 27 on non-Bogey threes in this game. So he's really the only guy that was kind of carrying three-point load in this one. And uh, he was impressive. Like, the Hawks might have lost this game by 20 if he hadn't had that stretch in the early fourth quarter because he was the only one making anything and doing anything offensively. And uh, good to see him playing well in advance of the deadline. And we talked about him a lot on yesterday's show, as you might, as you might imagine, before, uh, as he is a player that is certainly available in trades. To the starters, um, I'll just go here now and be a little bit negative, and then we'll sort of end on a more positive note later on. The Andre Hunter had a rough one, uh, to say the least. And I am not someone who goes out of my way to like point out when guys are struggling. Like, look, he... I think Hunter's been playing quite well. In fact, this this broke a streak of like, I think it was like 12, uh, 15, 20 games or so of him scoring double figures. That's, that's, that's an arbitrary endpoint, but he was really good in Utah. I thought he was good against Denver. Um, he was really bad in this game. Like, probably his worst game of the season. Um, obviously, the thing that stands out, if you look at the box score, is that he was 0-9 from the floor. It's more than that. Uh, he did have some ugly misses but you know that's just going to happen sometimes you're going to miss shots i don't worry about hunter as a shot maker now that he had this night but it was everything with deandre rebounding he had a full rebound that's fine but a couple of you know shaky non-rebounds one assist is a typical hunter number the turnover that he got um he had the one fumble away defensively he had no answers for brandon ingram now granted he's the only guy on the team that can really guard brandon ingram to be honest like ingram is when he's got it going and he did it in this game he is very difficult to stop he's very long high release all that stuff but hunter was the only option physically on him probably maybe you throw jalen johnson in there probably as well but uh hunter just couldn't stop him and that was probably out of the frustration he got hit in the face he was pleading like it was just a perfect storm for hunter um i don't, I don't want that to overshadow I, i'm sure some people saw this game i haven't watched them every game on the west coast trip it was so late at night he was good on the trip just not good in this game at all it was a rough one for deandre um the rest of the stars were fine they didn't have their typical like awesome juice you know as i talked about with andrew yesterday the stars have been their best units this year by a lot but that was not the case in this game so we'll go to john collins now 15 points six rebounds two blocks for john on nine shots, hit a three. He was one of two from three-point range. Um, he wasn't his best nor his worst. A couple of nice support plays defensively on the glass. He was fine. Um, just like a solid B game from Collins. He wasn't great, nor was he bad. Um, Capella, I thought, looked okay. Physically, he's been a little bit limited, I think, the last few games. I'm not sure if that's just the travel and all that stuff. He's one of the older guys, wear and tear. I'm sure that guys like Capella and Bogey in particular could use the all-star break, which is coming soon. But uh, Capella was fine when he played 13 points, eight rebounds. Um, no really bad moments. Uh, I'll just leave it there for now. Uh, Murray, Murray I, I, who I praised earlier for playing through the migraine, he wasn't like his best here. 19 points, did have seven assists, five rebounds, um, and was reasonably efficient, but uh, no free throw attempts. That's always a, uh, a sort of a barometer with DeJounte. So he was 19 points on 17 shots. That's fine. It's not great, but it's kind of typical in some ways for him. And then Trey had a weird night. So 16 assists, that's a season high. Um, 11 in the first half, tied a career high. Four turnovers, I think three of those were second half. Maybe, actually, no, all four were the second half, I believe, for Trey. Um, but shooting-wise, he was, he had a rough one. He was two of six on twos and two of eight on three, so four of 14 overall. Um, he was definitely unselfish and playing you know playing the way that you want him to play for a lot of the game. Just didn't have his normal juice as a score in this one. And uh, you know defensively, yeah, it was fine. So we'll leave it there for now. But uh, 
it wasn't like anybody other than Hunter had a like notably bad game, but it also wasn't like anybody had this fantastic game. You know, Trace passing was certainly up there. Bogey had an outlier good game, I think, in this spot. But everybody else was just kind of like within their normal realm of expectations, and uh, that leads to a nine-point loss in New Orleans. So at the end of the podcast, I will just say a couple things. Um, I'll, I'll, first, I'll plug one more time the show I did with Andrew yesterday, and the deadline is Thursday, 3 p.m., um, the Hawks do play a game on Thursday at home. That'll be their first home game in like 12, 13 days, but it's after the deadline. So a lot of intrigue on that. There's four and a half hours between the deadline and the game itself. Uh, that'll be a busy day for everybody that covers the Hawks, including me, I'm sure. Um, you know, we'll see if there's any more fresh rumors. If there's anything to report on Wednesday uh, on the rumor mill side, I'll be back with a podcast, even if it's a short one. But um, yeah, stay tuned for all of that. Also, patreon.com slash btroland. The Hawks do play the Suns on Thursday. Suns actually got Devin Booker back. Um, in the last couple of games. So uh, the Suns, uh, who, of course, the Hawks just played and beat. You know, that's a team that, you know, the Hawks can beat for sure at home, but not an easy game by any means. And uh, that'll be one to circle. If there is a trade, just for the record, if they have a trade, generally, if it happens on Thursday, anybody that's involved in the deal won't be able to play. It'll be that kind of turnaround. So that's one to circle as well. But uh, we'll have full coverage of that game moving forward. Please subscribe to this podcast across podcast platforms. Apple, uh, leave five-star ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple, et cetera. Follow the show at Locked on Hawks on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Again, patreon.com slash BT Roland for all of that stuff as well. I do appreciate everybody listening during this busy season around the Hawks. And uh, 27 and 28 is the record that the Hawks will be evaluating with this first-time front office uh, in the throes of all the madness here. There were trades. that ha- I guess there were smaller deals, but there were certainly trades that happened today. There'll be a lot more that happens on Wednesday and Thursday. And uh, buckle up. If you're an NBA fan, beyond just a Hawks fan, it's a busy slash fun time and a lot of intrigue around the Hawks at this point in time. All right. Thanks for listening to the show, everybody. I appreciate it. And we'll see you all later on this week.